looked at the importance of the resurrection and how it's foundational to Christianity. If we don't believe in a resurrection, basically we believe in a dead God. The power to overcome death in the flesh is what gives us the ability to be resurrected with Christ when the time comes. It's the hope of eternity with Christ we all long for. So Paul now goes into the third part of this series, which is the resurrected body. What will it look like, and do we finally get that beach body we've always wanted? <laughs> well, let's stand up, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35. Three parts I want to look at here is the dead raised, the body we have, and the body we get. Um, so, starting in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow in the body, that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit or a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual, the man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And, is, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we tackled the resurrection of the dead. Paul was addressing how some of the people in his audience didn't believe in a resurrection at all. If you look at the answer that Paul actually gives them, he actually uses two logical fallacies to show them the ignorance of their position. First, he showed them reductio ad absurdum um, to show them the logical consequences of denying the res resurrection. Remember, these people were doing ceremonial baptisms for the dead. Doing that made absolutely no sense if there's no life after death, why are you doing kind of these stand-in baptisms for people who are dead if you don't believe that there's anything after death? 
It made absolutely no sense. So Paul was pointing out that basically the absurdity of their entire position on this. Secondly, he uses an ad hominem to make the first two points of the chapter to show those points are what we must rest on for our entire doctrine. Paul teaches this from a point of fact and shows them their belief system has to line up with this fact even to make sense. Basically, an ad hominem attack is when you attack someone's position by attacking them instead of, their, instead of the position that they make. It's really, you guys, you guys have dealt with that, right? I deal with it all the time, personally. Um, it's, it's basically when you just come out and you go, well, if you believe that, then you're this. Well, hold on. Argue what I'm believing, not what I am. And that's not what, that's what, but anyway, Paul, Paul didn't attack their belief in no resurrection. He attacked them by pointing out the hypocrisy of their ritualistic baptisms. So he, he kind of does this ad hominem thing around, around, in, a, in a roundabout way. Their question of what kind of body is basically just the doubters kind of continuing this line of questioning with Paul. All right? I would love to have been just a fly on the wall listening to Paul talk to people. Well, it would be great to know Greek too. But anyway... The question here is one of faith. It's, it's not one of, of truth or no truth. It's one of faith. Jesus said that this was all going to happen. And the, the reality is, what they're saying is, well, we're not really sure we believe this to be true. So the question is, was Jesus a liar? And I think that is why Paul used the, the tactics and the positions that he did um, and he used kind of a more offensive rebuttal to what they were asking him. The, the questions asked really are described well in Gill's commentary. So I want to read this to you. It says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Or some heathen philosopher, a mere natural man that rejected this doctrine because not agreeable to his carnal reason and laughed at its monstrous and ridiculous how are the dead raised up? This query is put not as though the person merely hesitated and was in some suspense about this matter or with a desire to be informed, but as denying the thing and as objecting to the thing impossible, impractic impractical, or suggesting it could not be. So they're just flat out denying that the resurrection happened. And it's, it's something that they just continually kept doing. But he, uh, Gil continues on. He says, It was the, an incredible that the, those dead bodies which have been laid in the earth, some for many hundreds of years or even thousands of years, and have long ago been reduced to dust, um, undergone a thousand different forms, since their death, such bodies would have been burnt to ashes, eaten by worms, destroyed by wild beasts. How could they be raised again? That's the question that they're asking of Paul here. Let's look at Ezekiel 37, 
1 through 6. And Ezekiel answers this. He says, the, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to, the, to me, prophesy over these bones, and I will say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay um, sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. It's funny. Um, in seminary school, when I did that years ago, one of the presidents of the, of, the, of the seminary, he did a teaching that was on pastoral behavior. Okay? And he said, and I quote, a pastor should never use sarcasm. So, out of all the 30-something courses that I took in this school, there's two things that I disagreed with him on. The first was the baptism of babies, because I believe in the, in the biblical version of the uh, believer's baptism. Secondly, the use of sarcasm. Because, I want you to think about this. Paul uses it repeatedly. Christ used it on occasion. And it's even found in the Old Testament. We have, think, think about this. You have this setting where Elijah's there with, the, with all, these, all these prophets of Baal. And they're setting up all these altars. And these guys are over there cutting themselves. Oh, Baal, oh, Baal, come down, blah, 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 blah. And Elijah's just standing there and he goes, maybe he went to relieve himself. If that's not the most sarcastic thing in all of Scripture, I don't know what is. But he uses, like Paul does, he uses the absurdity of what's going on in the world and in that situation to show them, guys, you're not even looking at this whole picture. You're not seeing what's going on. Just look at the world that's going on right now. I had an argument, I had, well, discussion, for those of you at home. I had a discussion with somebody who's flat out saying, if, if we don't elect Joe Biden as the president, you're going to watch cities burn. And I'm sitting there going, so you're threatening me that if I don't do this, you're going to destroy the country? And I'm supposed to vote for that? The reality is Paul's saying here, you can't believe in the baptism of the dead if you don't believe that there's life after this one what's the point paul uses that that big absurdio that reductio ad absurdum that big fancy latin term for sarcasm to show them the absurdity of their argument he shows them the ridiculousness of their belief by, by explaining the ridiculousness of the concept 
So what does happen? Do we come back as like butterflies or is, is it some kind of a karma thing that, that happens to our body? We end up as, you know, it, I remember when I was talking with you guys, I don't think most of you, some of you know Brian LaPearl. He used to do um, a, lot of, a lot of missionary work in India. And he would go over there and he would work with children that were, especially females, who were orphaned because in that country, if you're orphaned or if you're homeless or if you're on the streets, that's because of what you did in your former life. They're not really supposed to help you because, well, you, you earned that in your previous life. And that's that whole karma thing. Is that, is that what Paul's talking about here? Do we end up coming back as a worm because of our bad behavior? What will our body look like? Well, first, Paul goes into the contrast between the body we have now and what the body will look like in heaven. What is the body that we have now? Adam was given the perfect, imperishable body until he decided to sin. Our bodies through sin, become perishable. They deteriorate. Yes, they even get old, guys. I know, some of you are shocked. The kids are looking at it going, yeah, you are old. Um, my, my kids, I always love it when my kids walk up to me and they go, you know, so when you were walking with the dinosaurs, what was that like? Or my, son, my oldest son, he used to always say to me stuff like, yeah, so like, during World War II, what kind of gun did you have? I'm like, you know, I don't need any of this. Anyway, we do not live as long as some of the biblical characters like Methuselah, who lived in 969 years, um, because everything changed after the fall. Perfect became imperfect. Our bodies are created or are recreated after death. It's not like the Hindu system of karma, though. Paul specifically says in this text that what you sow is not what's to be. Some of us, quite frankly, some of us are really hard on our temples. Um, there are some that did a lot of damage to ourselves through drug abuse or... Um, even the type of work that we did, or even through sports. Some have done unthinkable acts with their bodies. But that's your earthly body, it's made of flesh. And you know what? In a lot of cases, we act according to the flesh. Hopefully, the idea, once we give our lives to Christ, is you do less of those things, because you understand that the concept of your body being that temple of the living God, and w even though we're still flesh while we're living here, we want to do less of that kind of behavior because we're, we're living in a different type of, of, of covenant now. We've, we've made that commitment to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. When we lived for ourselves, 
we did it in the flesh. When we give our lives to Christ, we become a new creation. We're born again. We're still stuck in this decaying body of flaws. But our change should come in that we no longer think of the things that please the flesh. Does that make sense? We think of things that would make the Holy Spirit happy within us. Think of the symbolism. The video that we showed earlier is kind of really great. We're going to go into some symbolism here that's really going to make you guys see this a little bit better. When we we think of baptism, when, when you come out of the water in baptism, the, the symbolism there is that the old dead flesh is gone and we come out of the water as a new creation, right? Everyone around you still recognizes you. They still know who you are. Even though you're still the same you, on the outside, they still recognize who you are. But you're still a kernel is what Paul describes here. You're still kernels of you. There's still parts of you that are still there, but you're a new creation in Christ. You guys know what it's like when you became a Christian. Your, your unbelieving friends, and sad, sadly even some of your believing friends, still saw the old you. They still looked at you and they, they said, well, is, is they, are they really... I mean, yeah, they've given their life to Christ, but did they really? You even get that from Christians, seriously. Because they don't take the time to look at the internal stuff. They're still looking at the external stuff. They still see you in the flesh. It's still, it's still Wendy, not picking on you. Yeah, yeah. still you. Even though you've given your life to Christ, you're still the same you until they get to understand the spirit that's in you, they're still looking at the flesh of you, right? The reality is, most people who don't know you notice something different about you because you're going to change the way that you smile. You're typically going to change the way that you walk. The way that you go about your life is going to be different. It's just the reality of getting to know Christ because even though it's just that outward flesh, people should be able to see your behavior is definitely different. The once rotting flesh is now a temple of the living God and it's going to present itself differently. I mean, it should. Our text says... The glory of the heavenly body is different from the glory of the earthly body. Something that I need you guys to understand about that. Both bodies have glory. Because they're both made in the image of God. But what's the difference? Well, one's perishable and one's imperishable. What's that mean? It just means that we're simply given a new body but were raised of power and glory from the old one. There's still kernels of that old body there. Think about this. Let's talk about symbolism again. Think about when we put, who, who's the gardener here? My, my wife. 
I don't mean killer of plants, I mean gardener. I'm kidding. She's actually been doing very good lately. She buys them alive, though. She only kills a few. Um, so when we, <laughs> when we put a seed in the ground, okay, the seed itself dies, but part of that seed shoots out into a new creation, right? The new creation can't live in the ground anymore. It needs to be brought out into the sunshine, into the air to live. It needs water to grow. Our new bodies can't survive where our old bodies were. Does that make sense? Do you guys see that symbolism? It's, it's the old dirty place that we used to live in but then we shoot out of the ground and we're brought into this new place with great air and sunshine and it's like, oh, I, I can't go back to that. You, you never see a plant just go, I, I, I'm going back in the ground. Well, some of you kill the plants, maybe it looks that way, but that's not what's happening. That's not. There's still an old part of us in that, in the new. It's the roots that are old, but the new creation is better. Think, think of that symbolism again. We start off as natural, from the dust, like Adam, and then we were spiritual, of heaven, risen like Christ out of the earth. Paul in, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says this about our bodies. If if we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we be clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The one thing that we do know about our new body was a couple of things. We, don't, we know for sure we don't become angels. You got a picture? Yes, I do. And this one's going to disappoint a lot of you guys. We don't become cute little babies floating on clouds. I know a lot of you are going like, dang, that's what I wanted. Our new body will be both physical and spiritual. Personally, I believe based on our text that right now our body's more physical and less spiritual. I believe it's going to be reverse of that. I think it's going to be more spiritual and less physical. Um, some commentators say basically that our, our body's only going to be spiritual. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Um, 
the, Revelation 21.4 says this. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for all former things have passed away. How would, we, how would Jesus wipe away my tears if it wasn't a physical body? Okay? I think that we do notice, though, is it's a different kind of physical body. Here's the great part about that. I know as I'm getting older, older, not really, really super old, like some of my kids think, but as I get older, I can literally just be standing here and go, oh, what the heck just happened right there? And I'll tweak my back, just standing, doing nothing. I can have a rib that just pops out of place. I have ankle pain. We just played soccer last night. I'm actually feeling pretty good. We played soccer last night, but most of the time when we do that, my ankles are killing me. And, and you know what, guys? Those are minor compared to what some people go. I know like Z-Man goes through all kinds of dietary issues because he lives in, his, his body's made of flesh. It's part of the fall. Stuff happens. But you, you have people who have cancer. You have people with diabetes. You have people who are physically disabled for whatever reason. I don't know. None of that will be in our heavenly bodies. They'll never die. They'll never have pain. I'm looking forward to that one, quite frankly. Because I, I, I recognize when I get up in the morning, it's like, uh, 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 let's go. There we go. All right, now we're moving. That's how my body goes now. You young guys, you young whippersnappers, you just kind of like get up and go, ha, let's go, la, 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 la. Just remember, i take you out at the knee. I will take you right out at the knee. I can end you. Um, the other thing that we remember is that we will recognize each other and be able to continue relationships when we're in our new body. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.9 says, or 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crowning of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Paul would not have written this believing that they would not recognize each other. It, it wouldn't make sense. Um, look at a couple chapters later in chapter 4, Paul writes this, starting in verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that he who are alive, or that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and, will, and the dead will, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He wanted to encourage us that those that we had lost will meet again. 
we will see them again. So let's wrap this up. We see that the dead are indeed raised from the dead. We see and know that the body we have here on earth is weak and has all kinds of issues due to sin. And we see the beautiful symbolism in Scripture that represents the way our new body comes and how it's raised into glory and power. All of this leads further to hope. A hope of an eternity with loved ones that we've lost. An eternity without suffering. An eternity with Christ in a mansion of many rooms that he's gone forward ahead of us to prepare. Remember, and it's hard sometimes, it, it truly is hard sometimes, to remember the most important point of all of this resurrection discussion is that what we live in right now is just a blip in time. The time that we're here on earth is just a fraction of eternity. It's such a small... If you were to put a line on this wall, it'd just be like this little dot right here. Billy Graham said, My home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. I'm going to finish with J.I. Packer. I think he summarizes it well. He says, Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is certainty, guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment, the best is yet to come. Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, I just want to thank you again for your word. I want to thank you for the truth in it, the promises, the hope. We, we have, it's not optimism, it's knowledge, Lord. We have a knowledge of your word, we have a knowledge of the truth, and we have just the faith that everything that you said that's going to come true will come true because you've never let us down, Lord, and we just thank you for that. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have the ability, again, to just study it and to get to know you and to, to draw closer to you through it, to understand your promises and to understand what the future's like and what we can look forward to. We, we've all lost friends. We've all lost loved ones. We've all lost people that um, we know one day we'll get to see again. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for the, just the, the, the encouragement in that, in your word today, Lord. And we just, we just thank you for those that are here. We thank you for those that are watching at home. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be with those who are sick and heal them. We, uh, also want to just lift up this upcoming election um, it's important and we just pray that 
you would put it on the hearts of your people to get out there and vote, Lord, and, and do your will. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's go ahead and have somebody pass out the...